Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds and over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members, and they do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Shanta. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. And David, wherever you are, thank you for asking me to speak. Um, welcome to the newcomers, and congratulations to everybody celebrating uh, abstinence today. Oh, I'm so nervous, you guys. I'm so nervous. Um, I haven't been to this meeting in a really long time, so it's this nice mix of faces that I know and faces I don't. Um, but I'm just going to go for it. Let's see what happens. Um, so again, my name is Shanta. I am a compulsive overeater, a bulimic, and a restrictor. Hi, guys. Hi again. Um, Okay, let's start at the beginning. Um, I was born into an incredibly religious family. My family is from Cuba. If you know anything about Cubans, you know they are crazy. (laughs) Super crazy, loud, talky, aggressive sort of political people, and they're incredibly religious. Um, My family in particular uh, practiced and practices um, a form of religion called Santeria, which is like Roman Catholicism mixed with voodoo. It's really kind of interesting. Um, but as a kid, it was really scary. I grew up being really afraid of God. I grew up in a household where we had very scary, like, saints and Jesus, like, with wounds and bleeding and scary eyes staring at you in every room and, like, the evil eye to keep things away from you. And people would do all kinds of rituals. And I had ritual baths every September before I went to school. A woman in the neighborhood would come, I swear, who, like, smoked a little cigarillo and would, like, put me in a bathtub with, like, these weeds. And she would, like, put them over me and pray. And it was really creepy. So I grew up knowing that God was something to be feared. So that's just the basis for all of it. Um, I was born to teenage parents at a time when that was not even something you would wish on your worst nightmare. It was quite a scandal in my family. When I was born, my parents were 15 and 16. Um, And needless to say, it caused a lot of confusion and anger and strife between these two households. My father was the angel. My mother was the devil. She was this wanton young woman who had seduced this promising young man and had ended up with this baby. Prior to me being born, my parents separated. I'm sure their families forced them to. Um, And no one was talking to my mother. She was completely isolated. Let me also add, when my mother met my father, she was already the mother of twins. I have sisters who are 18 months older than I am. Which means my mother had a baby at 14. She had me at 16. Mm -hmm. So obviously this was, um, let's say a young woman who was failed in a lot of ways. So I'm born, no one's talking to each other. It's a completely horrible situation. They get the call, the baby is here. My family, my father's family, comes down to the hospital. The story that I'm told, my grandmother takes one look at me and she goes, that baby looks just like me. That's my baby. Yeah, we're taking her. This is our baby now. And they took me, they took me home. Um, My mother's story is I was, I don't wanna say kidnapped, that's very strong. But let's just say I was estranged from her mostly my entire life. And I go home with my father and his family. He's 16. He immediately goes back to his life. And I am now being raised by these two older people, Um, which on the outside seemed like a really great idea. They had all of the trappings and things that you would expect people to have who are older. They've got 
homes and money and things and stuff, except it's an incompletely, again, remember I told you my family's from Cuba. They're totally crazy. So they are, I come from a completely addicted background. Everybody drinks, not everyone takes drugs, but lots of drugs come into it, including my parents. Um, There is my grandfather that I live with, my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandfather is a pedophile. And I live a nightmare of a childhood. Um, I come to find out as an adult that this is not the only experience as a girl child in my family. I'm not the only one who had that experience. Um, So this is the life that I'm living. On the outside, I am smiley and overachieving and pleasant and polite and well-mannered. And I overachieve and I'm school class president and I run this club and I have all the friends and I have all the things, except I have the secret that I can't tell anybody. And so the thing that I come up with is, I'm going to eat, which is so wonderful, so wonderful. I remember the very first time that I had that compulsive bite. I don't feel like I was born a compulsive overeater. I feel like it was in me, and it got activated for sure. And I remember the day that it happened, you know, again, Cuba, baseball. My family loves baseball. We're a diehard East Coast New York Mets family. Sorry for those who don't like the Mets. Um, That's who we are. And much of my childhood was spent, you know, again, looking like good Americans. We went to the ballpark constantly with, I don't know if you can still do this now, but you could take in picnic baskets of food and drink and fun and all this. So, you know, we'd load it all up and we'd caravan over there and we'd unload it all and just have these really wonderful days. One day, I can't even imagine what happened, came home, and we're all you know, hanging out at home after the ballpark, and I see under one of the tables in the living room, there's a big old picnic basket with like food hanging out of it, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's mine. And I feel myself organized to sneak to get it. I have no idea why. I'm five years old. If I had asked for the food, someone would have given it to me. No one in my family denied me anything ever. I just need, I know I needed to sneak. Now I know it's because sneaking and secrets are amazing and delicious, and I love them. Um, but that's what I wanted. And I remember when I took that first secret bite where no one could see it, I was home. I was home. I understood now, this is going to make me feel better. I live in hell. I can't tell anyone, so I'm five, and this is happening. I eat, and I eat, and again, I come from a family where, again, so crazy, so dysfunctional. But there were some things that I got from them that I don't know how, I guess, positive. I can't, I'd love to look at my experience and say it was all bad. That's how our brains go. It's either black or white. The truth was it was a living hell most of the time. But there were some really amazing things I got from my family. For one, what I've been told is a really strange amount of self-esteem. I know many of us in this program suffer from body dysmorphia. We hate ourselves. I've always thought I was pretty fantastic. <laughs> On the outside, I thought I looked just fine. Certainly no worse or no better than anyone else. I got that from my family. Every time I walked into a room, they were like, could you be more beautiful? Could you? Could you be any smarter or more wonderful person? I don't know why. This, but that, for some reason, I'm sure, propelled me through and helped me. I mean, I certainly needed to eat, but that certainly gave me something to go on. So I'm 13, and this is really working. I mean, certainly my body is growing. But again, I come from a family, nobody, no one ever said anything. My family is diabetic. So certainly it was always... Don't get too heavy. You don't want to get unhealthy. You don't want to get the diabetes in the family. But no one ever body shamed me. No one ever told me anything other than I was completely perfect, as is. So whatever they gave me, I thank them for that. I turned 13, and I'm sure, you know, you're a teenager. Life starts to become difficult in a whole new kind of way. By the way, might I add, I was this tall at 13. This is where I topped out. So I looked pretty much like this since I was 13 years old. 
which is its own probably separate programmer story. Um, and life becomes more difficult. I'm sure I'm not coping well. We know that this works, and then it stops working. You've got to find something else. I discover and invent bulimia. I invent this. I think that this is now my way out. Because now I can, the phrase that I would use, well, now it doesn't count. I can eat whatever I want, and it doesn't count. Spoiler alert, it always counts. Um, it didn't count to me, and so I'm now in the throes of this bulimic cycle. And we all know how this goes. You don't eat, you eat, you restrict. You don't, and it's just this thing, and I'm on this. I have no idea what's happening. I have no idea why it's happening. I know that I have a secret because, let's see, there's something wrong with me. My stomach is bigger than most people. I need more food than the average person. All the things I could think of. Other than, but I didn't know this thing existed, so I didn't know what was happening to me. Of course, I never tell anyone. I continue my life on, looking like a totally normal person, except here's what's happening. I'm making a plan to escape this house. The minute I graduate from high school, I am out of here, and I'm never coming back, and everything's going to be fine. I'm sure of it, because all I need to do is leave here. So I graduate. I do. I leave, and I never come back home, but I embark on this life in college, and guess what comes with me? All of my eating disorder behavior. It gets quiet, it gets bigger. For the four years, you know, it just it expands, it contracts. And I have the blessing and the curse of not only being a person who has disordered eating, because I don't know how to cope. Um, I'm someone who really likes food. I will cook, I will throw down at Thanksgiving, and you will be glad to have an invitation. I will really show you a good time with your food. I have people who make requests. And I think sort of like that's the way out also. If I just fix my food, I know how to cook, I know how to make food, this will be it. None of these things work. So what happens? I live my, I'm from, I'm from New York originally, so I live my life up into my 20s in New York, and then I come to California, because it's always been my dream to live here. And that's the thing that's probably going to help, I'm pretty sure. It's sunshine, it's beautiful, it's the ocean, it's all the things I've always wanted. And I come to California. Can I mention specifically jobs, yeah. companies? Yes. So I come to California, you guys. My first job here, landing, is a Playboy. <laughs> oh, my God, what an amazing job that was. That led me probably to my bottom as fast as a person could get there. <laughs> it was fantastic. I worked in Playmate Relations, and the city was my oyster. I got my car washed for free. I got into clubs for free. I went everywhere I wanted to go for free. So I'm now in my 30s. Um, don't worry, at the end of the story, I'm not very old. Um, I'm in my 30s, and I'm running around Los Angeles. You know, I've discovered cocktails and fun and friends, and I am an actual, I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible person. I lie just because, not about anything important. After hello or good morning, I probably shouldn't be trusted. Don't believe anything I say. Don't believe a word of it. Um, I don't take very good care of myself which means I'm not taking very care of anybody, so I'm not really careful with your feelings or mine. I don't care about your boundaries because I don't have any. Um, I'm cooking all night and making these feasts and then throwing them up uh, and then going to work with bloodshot eyes and acting like I'm totally normal, not to mention the insanity that's in my head. Even if I could control sort of what I was doing with food, this was so sick. I woke up, you know, hating my life, hating you, judging everyone, wanting to get off the earth, wanting you to get off the earth. My boss is a jerk, and you're a jerk too, and no one's doing anything right. Walking around all day like this with this heaviness, now that I know that it was in my soul that I just couldn't bear, so no wonder I'm eating. I'm miserable, and I still have a secret I can't tell anybody about this food. I can't tell a soul. 
somehow through the grace of God, through this wonderful, exciting lifestyle that I'm living, I become really sick. As a child, I was, um, again, I think because I was born to a teenage parent who probably wasn't very well herself, I developed really severe asthma. And so I've been sick a lot as a child, so I'm pretty used to it. As an adult, I still continue to get sick. But one winter, for reasons I cannot explain except it's God, I, get, I wake up Friday morning with a really bad sore throat. And I say, oh, yeah, I'm not feeling so well. And I sort of watch it. Monday morning comes and I can't breathe. I'm gasping for air. I have a fever. I'm a mess. I realize I have to go to the hospital, so I dial 911, which I've done a million times. Ambulance comes to get me. It's very dramatic. I get to the hospital. The doctor comes in and he takes one look at me, you know, does all of the things, and he goes, what happened to you? Why in the world did you wait this long to come in? How long have you been sick? And I was like, three days. He was like, wait, hold on. And he sort of like looks again. He's like, that's not possible. You're a young woman. What is wrong with you? Which, again, not the best bedside manner that I'd ever heard. But I like that he got right to the point because no one had ever asked me that before. No one had ever asked me, why are you so sick all the time? What's wrong with you? I might have said something. Chances are I probably wouldn't have. But at that moment, I was ready. And I said, you know what? I don't know. I think I have a problem with food. I don't even know where that came from. I never even thought. I don't even know where that came from. And he, of course, said to me, no, you don't. The problem is, and I was like, okay, whatever. So they admit me to the hospital. I'm there for about 10 days. And while I'm there, something really miraculous happens. I'm unable to feed myself. You know, when you're in the hospital, I can't get up. They bring you the food. And I'm noticing every meal that they're bringing me, I'm not really necessarily finishing it. I'm a compulsive overeater. I eat everything off my plate all the time because I need to feel safe in the world, because I'm hungry, because you're in the room, whatever. The food needs to be eaten. And I'm thinking to myself, if I actually have this thing that's wrong with me that I always have thought was wrong with me, why is it not happening here? Huh. And I couldn't explain it. So I went home thinking, well, the hospital cured me. I'm totally fine now. I didn't eat all the food at the hospital. I'm... Thank goodness that's over. Friend picks me up from the hospital. I've got oxygen. You know, I've really got to take it easy for the next couple of days. The friend, of course, says, oh, can I come upstairs? Can I help you? Oh, no, I'm fine. Leave me alone. You know what I'm up to. I go upstairs, close the door. I sit down with my oxygen. I turn it up, and I order Chinese food. Because what else would you do? Chinese food comes, a huge feast, of course. I can barely breathe. I'm still completely sick. This is a tough image for me to remember, but I am taking Chinese food and I'm opening my cheeks and I'm putting it into the sides to get it down because I have to get the food in. And in that moment, I was like, oh, something is wrong with me. This isn't normal. I don't think normal people do this. And I was like, well, maybe can I go back to the hospital? Can I live there? Maybe they can help me? No, that's not it. Thankfully, you know, there's the internet. I looked up and found something that I could afford. Thankfully, I had some money in my savings, and I put myself into a rehab facility. So I knew something was wrong, and I needed help. I still have not heard the words of, like, bulimic or compulsive reader. I don't even know what those things are, but I know that something's wrong. And they say that they can help you if you have a food problem. So I'm in. And I go, and I'm grateful. I, gave my, I was able to give myself three months of inpatient treatment, which, of course, changed my life. Changed it. Gave me just a moment to, first of all, I'm not by myself. This is a thing that people have. You're not alone. Revelation. The reason I have it is because, have you noticed your childhood? Trauma, these, you know, I'm like, oh, huh, I get it. That actually helped me in the very beginning. 
I met my Eskimo there. There was a woman sitting next to me when we got when we graduated, that kind of a program you can graduate from, who said to me, you know, I've heard of this thing, it's called OA. I'd never even heard of it. Great, what's that? And she explained to me, and I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. That's bullshit. No, that's not going to work. It sounds scary, and I don't think it's going to happen. Naturally, I get desperate enough a couple days out of rehab, and I think, well, I better go with her. And I go to this meeting at 7.30 in the morning in a disgusting basement, and I have my life changed. Because God's there. And I didn't know that's what was going to happen. Um, if you're a newcomer, this part might sound scary because I'm going to mention God a lot. But I promise it's going to be okay. <sighs> My first meeting. I can't say enough wonderful things about it. I was struck absent that meeting. I never, ever, ever thus far, with the grace of God, have binged since then. Yes, I've overeaten, obviously. But I've never binged again. Not one time. And I only attribute that to hearing something in that meeting and certainly in that first share that made me go, oh. Like, you know that pause that we've developed, that feeling where we go, oh, I'm home. These are my people. Someone who didn't look like me, someone I would never meet in any other circumstance was right there telling my story. And I knew in that moment there is a possibility that I could get well. I didn't believe that it was going to happen because I had proof that my life was was messed up. <laughs> um <laughs> But I knew, I had a feeling that maybe something would happen. And I want to give some kind of answer here What's like, well, here's the magic secret. The secret is keep coming back. The secret is work the steps. The secret is listen to your sponsor. Get one. If you don't have one, please get one. Get to know your fellows. Pray and meditate. One of the greatest, you know, I guess it's easier for me to say sort of what it's like now is like the kind of person that I am and the things that I've learned here. First of all, I'm non-judgmental to a degree that is almost freaky to me to even believe. I actually don't care. I don't care about a lot of things. You know, there are certain things I was graced with in program and certain things I've struggled with. One of the things that came to me automatically were God's business and Shanta's business. I'm real clear. Can I do something? If no, I just let it go. That's God. Now I'm going to complain maybe and argue and be stressed out and do all the things I need to do to maybe get into acceptance. But I'm never, never, never not clear that this has nothing to do with me. I do my part. Let God handle God's part. And again, for those of you who are new, you know, God is a placeholder word. I could say the universe. I could say this meet, this meeting, this room, this energy. The thing Again, if you're new or you're struggling, the thing that brought you here tonight is probably God. Because left to my own devices, I wanted to text David and say, I'm sick. I can't share. I want to go to dinner instead with my family. I don't want to do this. It's not about me. What a gift. The whole world used to be about me and how I felt and how I felt about you. And those were the decisions I would, you know, call in crazy to everything. I was engaged to be married and didn't go to my fiance's sister's wedding. Because I didn't like my dress that morning. I put it on. I did that. I know. I did that. I told you, I used to be a horrible person. I don't do that anymore. You know, I was talking um, with my sister in program earlier today, thinking about this share. And I said to her, you know, we, I have a home meeting that I go to uh, every Saturday morning. Shout out to Kitchen Sink. Um, and someone there asked that speaker, how did you, how did you become like, he said, I used to be a liar and a thief and all these things. And he's like, well, how did you do that? And I thought to myself, well, it's very simple. I stayed my ass right here. I was a liar because I usually put myself in positions with people who either were not safe or situations that were not safe. And I had to lie or felt compelled to lie to save myself. 
I now have developed after 11 years in this program a bit of a radar. I know who's not worth any of my time, and I know who to bring closer. I accept and tolerate all people, but you know what I mean. I learned that here. I don't have to lie to people. I never put myself in a position around people where I have to lie. I keep myself safe now. Fellowship, I can't say enough about that. If you are not communicating and engaging with your fellows, you're missing a huge part of the program. Because when you don't want to call your sponsor for a month, your fellows are going to take your calls. They're going to ask you to go to meetings. They're going to sit and do step work with you in a silent room if you need them to do that. They'll pick you up from the hospital when you're sick. They're going to be your chosen family of some sort. I learned about being on my own side here, which is something that I learn on the regular. Um, it's easy when I'm not doing the thing that I think I should be doing to get down on myself. And remember, this is why I suck. This is why your life is, this is why your life is, all the things we tell ourselves. The other day, in abstinence, I totally had like this sugar moment. Oh, I just ate these delicious donuts. They were amazing. The moment before I went to eat them, again, training, I called my sponsor. She's like, okay, sounds like this is what's happening. Good luck with all of that. Bought the donuts, went home, had my abstinent lunch, waited, and I was like, yep, I still want the donuts. Ate them anyway, then ate another one. Um, and then when I was done, I thought, okay, now I don't feel so good. My stomach hurts. And I thought, instead of you, all the things, I thought, oh, poor you. You must be feeling something or struggling with something that you don't even want to admit to yourself. If this is what, because this is what your best thinking gave you. I knew I had to take it to God, but the thing was I didn't have to beat myself up because that's then I've got two problems. Now I'm not on my side. I'm a jerk, and I don't feel well. I need someone to be nice to me when I don't feel well, and I need that person to be me. And that's so valuable here, and I know I'm always going to, like, it's just so important. I take it everywhere. If you mess up at work, I ri it's okay. I can forgive. I'm just a human doing the very best I can. Um, I think the last thing I'd like to share before maybe some questions is forgiveness. Um, because of my childhood, or I should say that I felt because of my childhood, I was very estranged from my parents for most of my life. And any time I would even talk about them, it was like so, like, I wouldn't stop being your friend if you asked me too many times about my parents. I'd be like, I told you, I'm not, I don't cl I'm not close with them. Stop asking me. It was so uncomfortable. It was so hurtful. I actually had lunch. After 16 years of not even talking to my father, I had lunch with him a few months ago for about three hours where I had the opportunity to say all of the things that I needed to say. And I didn't even go into it thinking, well, now we're going to have this big reunion and it's going to be really wonderful. I just felt like I needed to get some things off my chest. And by working this program and working again all of the 12 steps more than once, I got to a place that, you know, I've heard about here. I didn't tell him, it's okay that you abandoned me with a as a child and you never showed up for me and you were very abusive when you were around. He already knows that. I don't have to do that. I got to keep it to me. This is what I experienced. This is how I felt. This is what happened to me. And I just needed you to know that. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that we're close now. I do get a text from him every so often saying things like, it's raining in New York. The Mets won. They lost. You know, very simple. He doesn't really engage me. And you know what? That's okay. I get through this program. I get fathered. I get mothered. I have aunties. I have uncles. I have cousins. I have sisters. I have brothers. I don't need to go to the hardware store for milk. I learned that here. It's okay. I'm getting everything I need. Um, and I think I'll stop there and see if there are any questions. Thank you for letting me share. Yeah. If there are any questions, I'm happy to take some.
Okay, the question is, what is my relationship with God? Bummer of a question, because I'm super in a fight with God today. Um, God and I are not super talking right now. God and I are not, I mean, we're talking, but I'm really mad at God, because God's not giving me what I want. Might I add, I have a life that's so great. I have a fellow who constantly says to me, Good morning, Shanta. How is your wonderful life disappointing you today? <laughs> and I have an answer. I always have an answer because my wonderful life is disappointing me right now. But again, what I've learned here is that's okay. That doesn't make me a bad person. It just makes me me and usually just kind of garden variety addict. I'm never satisfied. If you give me one stadium filled with people cheering my name, I'm like, but well, where's my other stadium? Why only one stadium of people? I should get two. So God for me... Again, for me, it's a placeholder word. I know it when I feel it, and I usually feel it at the ocean, looking at how L.A. is blooming, all these flowers. Oh, my gosh. If that's not God, I don't know what is. And my relationship has changed, I will say. So when it started, I had, like, a dad because I needed a good dad, right? So I made it a dad, got a real a man. Then that didn't need, I didn't need that so much, and I needed a mother figure. So I kind of made it whatever I needed, a mom or a dad. Very recently, I've been trying out something very new because of the God that I grew up with who was punishing and scary and bloody and staring at you from every room. I need a God who allows me to get angry. As a compulsive overeater and as a bulimic, I have a lot of problems. I have an inability sometimes to express anger and rage or all of those kinds of uncomfortable feelings. I eat my feelings, then I get rid of them and it doesn't count, everything's fine. So it's been very important for me to do over the past Like six or eight months, this is really recent. I'm practicing saying, oh, I can't say that on this. Bad things to God like eat a bag of male genitalia or like I'm angry at God. I don't even want to pretend. I'm really, really angry because there are things that I want because God brought me this far. He didn't bring me this far not to give me the rest. I want the rest. Mm, Sounds familiar. So now what I have is a God that allows me to throw temper tantrums wasn't safe to do when I was a kid. I wouldn't dare throw a temper tantrum. I was well behaved. I get angry. I say mean stuff. I curse. I I don't eat at God because that's not, I'm not doing that. Um, I'm trying to think. I say bad stuff to people. I say bad stuff at meetings. Um, I'm acting out, but in a way, I want to when I started, I was sort of daring God to punish me. God's not punishing me. God's God loves me. But I love that I have the space to be angry because I need to practice that. And I don't know why, but it is working. Being So I have a God right now that's probably like a mother or a father. It's definitely a parental figure because I really need that. But it's a God that I'm practicing with being really angry with. And so far, so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else? Oh, thank you. No, anybody? Yes. Hi. Thank you so much. My question is, um, as you were learning to not go towards people who were um, unhealthy for you, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And uh, to not go for the hardware store, you know, to the hardware store for milk. How did that manifest, and how did you, how did you, you know, know when people were unhealthy or you were being hurt? And right. All that stuff. Okay, uh, the question, if I'm getting it right, is um, how did I, how was I able to identify unsafe people or experiences and remove myself from them with the program? Um, after I was able to stop eating and purging, I mean, in the, in the biggest sense of it, I mean, like where it's just your everyday experience and you can't, getting abstinent. Once I was able to do that, I was able to feel. 
And that has been, yeah, I mean, again, one of the more important things. Like, I know what's happening because I go, I'm feeling something. There's a disturbance. I'm not feeling as calm as I was five seconds ago. What happened? Sometimes I've done it to myself. It's like a boomerang thing. But if I'm in, if I'm in a room with someone and we're all having a real good time, we're having a conversation, someone comes in, and I start feeling kind of funky, sometimes it's just me being an addict and I don't like people and I don't like new people and why are you here and you can't sit with us and all that BS. But if I'm really not feeling, something is not something is off about you, the first thing I wonder is, am I making it up? If I'm not, I go, I'm going to get and respect that. I started trusting my intuition and seeing where it led me right and where it led me wrong. Mm-hmm. You'll get people. If someone presents themselves in a way where I feel they're kind of funky and they prove once or twice they're funky, I just believe it. I don't ostracize you. I don't have to talk mess about you. I don't have to gossip about you. I just don't need to actively seek you out. That serves no one. It serves no one. I can be of service somewhere else. Same thing with an uncomfortable situation. For those of you who know me outside of this experience, I'm the queen of going home. I love to go home. I will go home in seconds. If I don't like what's happening, I'm out of here. Now, I used to do it because I could go home and eat. Now I use it to remove myself when I'm not feeling comfortable, and I don't have to feel guilty about that. I learned from or I've heard from my uh, sisters in program who are in our mothership program, I don't have to be polite in sobriety. I sure as hell don't. If this is a situation where I don't feel comfortable, I am out of here. But I only was able to do that once I got abstinent, could feel my body, and could trust it. That takes time. Again, I've been here 11 years. I'd say that's happened in the past four, five, where I could really, because I'm like, well, I don't know if that's real. I don't know what I'm doing. I was always second-guessing. It takes time to go, oh, no, I probably don't like that person. And now my favorite thing is when that person or experience reveals itself to be funky, I go, aha, I told you. I'm not cool with it. I let people know. I told you. That person was a jerk, remember? I told everybody. I told you. I told you. It ha- people will reveal themselves. Again, you do your work. You do your thing. God's with you. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Thank you. Yes. What does your food plan look like? Oh, my gosh. Thank you. The question is, what does my food plan look like? Thank you. I can't believe I almost forgot to mention this. So um, part of my story I mentioned is restricting, which I didn't know I was doing, by the way. When I knew and thought of the word restrictor, I thought, and by the way, I'm talking like in the past year, you guys. I've been here a long time for this. Um, I assumed it was like I only eat this kind of food or these colors and it's only this amount and weighing. I just had a very narrow definition I didn't know that going all day not eating was restricting. I didn't know that. And then making my meals really small for a couple of days, I didn't know. I was like, well, I don't do it all the time. That's not a big deal. So, I mean, it's so adorable to think of it now, and I love that my fellows, no one ever called me on it. No one said a word. They were like, oh, have you eaten today? It's 2 o'clock. I'm getting to breakfast. I'm going to get there. They'd be like, well, hmm, okay. It's four o'clock. Have you eaten today? No, but I'm thinking about it. And I know where I'm going. I know what it's going to be. So I had a lot of this, and I didn't know that that was restriction, until thankfully a year ago, my life became unmanageable, because I would find myself trying to eat the abs in a way that I was feeling in my head, but I couldn't quite get it on the plate. I was too caught up in that cycle of not taking care of myself. I just couldn't do it. So I finally broke down what it felt like. But what it is, is I surrendered. Because God gave me this idea years ago and I didn't do it. I have a food delivery service. That's the answer for me, which was really hard for me to do. One, because again, I cook. I cook for you, I cook for you, I cook for everybody. I couldn't cook for myself it was so embarrassing that I didn't know how to feed myself. I'm an adult. 
and I couldn't do it. Once I got over the shame and I just let God take over, I found a place. They asked me about 300 questions about what I like to eat, so like my best day ever. I got to fill that out. I got to talk about everything I wanted to eat. And talk about turning it over. This for me has been very instrumental. Part of my abstinence is I do not intentionally starve myself. Because I can't. I tried saying three meals a day. Too much pressure. I couldn't do it, especially not in the beginning. And I hated feeling like a failure. That sucked. So what happens is I've turned it over for real. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I go here at my house, and I go downstairs, and there's a bag with my name on it. And I take it upstairs, and I open it, and whatever's in that bag, I eat. I get three meals and two snacks every single day. Some days I don't want it. Even though it's food that I like, I don't always want to eat the oatmeal. I want egg whites. Well, you don't have egg whites today, so you got oatmeal. The practice in eating it has been, um, I can't, life-changing is not even a big enough word. God-changing. Because it helped re- not renew my, it helped me believe that God was really present because the, I like to be in control of my food. I, I don't even know how else to express it, but you guys know what I mean. Like, it's my food. It's how I feel okay. It's how I know that the world is a safe place to be, and it's how I know my mood's going to be good. It's going to be, I can be polite because I've eaten the food that I want. I don't get that. And I have to sit there sometimes. I did in the beginning. It's been about seven or eight months I've been doing this. Sometimes I have to just sit there and go, it's going to be fine. Because here's what I really do in the beginning. Guys, I had to walk up to the refrigerator and go, look, there's another meal. If you can just hold on for two and a half hours, you see it in the refrigerator, count it. Take it out and look at it. Put it back. Okay, in two hours I get to have something else. So just choke this damn oatmeal down and you'll get the next one. And this feeling has now become this feeling. And now it's this feeling. There's a sense of real surrender. It's become a joke sort of in my group of fellows and friends that I hang out with. Like, hey, let's all have dinner together. Let's all meet at so-and-so's house. And he goes, you bring one of your tired meals with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bring my tired meals everywhere I go. I bring, And then most of the time, they're like, can I have some of that? That looks really It's delicious food, but I always want, you know, what we're ordering out for. It's super unfun. I was with my sister in program last night, and she ordered food when I was at her house. And she said, when it comes, just open the door and grab it. No problem. Bell rang. I got the food. I said to her, it smells like love and acceptance. Whatever's in this bag smells like, and it did. It was fried food. It was amazing. Um, but that has been so instrumental for me specifically. I had to give, I had to give away my, my ability to choose. I had to surrender. Um, and God gave me that, and thankfully I have the money to pay for it. It shows up. I don't have to think about it. They take it away when I'm done with it. Oh, no, I am in a meeting where I can say this. I don't weigh myself. I'm down at least two dress sizes or pants sizes. Whatever. My body is getting smaller because I have sustained, nu- this is just math, sustained nutrition. It's not a trick. I was trying to do so many. <laughs> Amazing. I'll take it. Um, it changed my. It changed everything for me. It helped me. It strengthened my relationship with God. And it gave me the ability of what they talk about have the meal, and then go on with your life. It's made my life bigger because I don't have to spend so much time thinking about what a jerk I am, how I haven't eaten yet, where am I going to eat, how am I going to do it, get it done. And then I have to wait for the next meal. Then I have to start thinking about the next meal right away. Now I have all my life to myself to take care of, myself and others. Thank you. Is it time for Okay. Any other questions? Like one minute. Okay. A one-minute question from anybody? No. Yes. Hello. Hi. Did you get any outside help other than your treatment for your um, sexual trauma? 
I did. I, uh, the question is, did I get any outside treatment for my uh, sexual trauma, my childhood sexual trauma? I did. Um, I saw a therapist specifically about that. Um, if there are people suffering, again, I understand intimately how challenging. I say now in a joking way to people sometimes, they'll say, oh, isn't, like, if they'll mention something bad that's happened, like, didn't you break your knee or something? Like, yes, I was also molested as a child. Do you want to talk about it with me too? I say it as a joke because it's so painful and it's something nobody wants to talk about. It's the only way out. It's the only way out. I promise if I knew of another secret, I would share it now. Just like this program, you're only as sick as your secrets. You've got to put it out there. There are people to trust. <coughs> there is group free, low cost, any, anything you want, the resources are out there, certainly. Um, I'm happy to share anything with anyone after the meeting if you'd like any specific information about that. Um, again, thank you for letting me share.